You're listening to Along the Narrow Way, a podcast that walks you through books of the Bible verse by verse to help you dig into God's Word so you can walk along the narrow way with Christ more faithfully. Hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. Join them as they help us understand the Bible so we can walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 12. And we're going to do our best to finish this chapter because we've been camped out in this chapter. Uh, this will be the third week now, I believe, Jimmy. Amen. So, um, 40 days and 49. That's what it feels like sometimes, isn't it? Uh, so, um, i tell you what. If I can find where I'm supposed to be. Okay. John chapter 12. I believe we had gotten down... 2 verse 35. So that's where we're going to start here in just a minute. <clears throat> Jimmy, would you say a word of prayer to kind of get us started? Then we'll uh, look at what it says. Sure thing. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together around you and your word and just, just hear from you, Father. And we just pray for the Holy Spirit right now just to penetrate our hearts with your word. And Father, help us rightly divide the word of truth right now. And I pray, Father, we'll, we'll take this word and and live by it and share it, that this dark world will see the light shining in and through us, Father, the light of Christ. Lord, we give you the glory and we thank you for this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. <clears throat> so in John chapter 12, we've seen the triumphal entry. We've seen the people flocking out of Jerusalem, all the people, the spectators that wanted to see Lazarus after he'd been resurrected, all coming together, hailing Jesus. We've seen Jesus teaching some uh, pretty spectacular truth. Uh, for example, the, the grain of wheat that yes. dies into the ground yet produces a great harvest and speaking to his death and the great harvest in the, in the kingdom of God that it would produce. We've, we've seen Jesus predicting how he would die through crucifixion and the people uh, really rejecting that idea because their Messiah, their Savior, couldn't be one who would die like that. He's supposed to conquer and rule. Yes. And so they reject Jesus based on that. Um, and so that brings us up to verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So here Jesus is uh, he's, he's talked about how he's going to die. They've said, no, that can't be. He says, if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to me. I'm going to provide salvation for Jew and Gentile and everybody. And then he goes on and he says, listen, it's just a little while. Just a little while that the light is with you. So walk while you have the light. What he's talking about here, this is kind of Jesus, his final appeal. This is his final appeal to the masses. Listen, while you have opportunity to step into the light of God's salvation, you need to step into the light. He's giving a plea to the people here to come to a saving faith. He's giving a plea. He's already established he's the light, and now he's giving a plea. Listen, step into me. Come to faith in me. Walk in me. It's... it's an opportunity to be saved is what it is. But notice something. 
how he starts out, a little while longer. What he's saying is, you have a very time-sensitive opportunity. This has an expiration date on it. You need to come to a saving belief in me, for you just have an opportunity for a little while. It's time-sensitive. The light is going to depart. The light of the world, Jesus, is soon going to depart from these people. Yes. And their opportunity is gone. They have a, a very time-sensitive opportunity to receive him, a short time to respond to him personally. And while the light was available, he's imploring them, take advantage to come into the light. That's what he's saying when he says, walk while you have the light. Step into the light. Take advantage of this. These people gathered what he was saying. Keep in mind, in the day they lived, there were no street lights. There were no headlights. There were no flashlights. You could get a torch. You could have a little oil lamp. But you had nothing that would provide light. So if you traveled, you traveled during the day while it was light. For when night fell, you stumbled in the dark. You lose your way in the dark. These people understood what he was saying. You are walking in spiritual darkness, yet you have spiritual light in front of you. Step into the light while the light is here for just a little while and the light will be gone. Don't miss the opportunity. They knew what he was saying. Darkness had overtaken the world. Sin had entered the world. They were all in spiritual darkness. Yet spiritual light had come and they had the opportunity to step in spiritual light. Yet just for a while. Just for a while. The only way to avoid spiritual darkness was for them to step into the light. And this happens through faith. Look what he says. Verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light. So he's saying, here's how you walk in the light. You believe in me. You place your faith in me. You receive me through faith as the true Messiah that you might step into the light, step out of spiritual darkness. Take advantage of this. You walk into the light through faith in Christ. And look what he says happens, that you may become sons of light. You, he's saying, look, you'll become actual children of God. Now, remember, he's speaking to the Jews, those who said we are sons of Abraham. We're in the kingdom because we were born into it. And he's had to teach them time and again, no, you are not. I'm talking about a spiritual kingdom. And to be born into it, as he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must step into the light. And so he's telling the people, step into the light. The light is shining forth into the darkness of this world. Step into the light. You just have a limited time. And the reality, Jimmy, what do you think? Is that not the case for people today? The Holy Spirit calls them to step into the light, step out of the darkness of sin. And it's a time-sensitive opportunity. It is. In fact, we're going to see here in a minute that the door is going to be shut. That's right. That can still happen to people today. And, it, and that, doesn't have, that doesn't mean that's going to happen in the end time for you, too. It can happen to you right now. Right now. Or we're not speaking of end times. No, no. Your opportunity is now while you still have your life in your lungs. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Now, look at the tra tragic reality. If you look down at verse uh, um, 36, these things, the end of 36, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Here's the tragic reality. When he finished giving his plea, when he finished speaking, he departed. And this is the end. This is the end of the public ministry of Jesus. Mm -hmm. In the rest of the book of John, you will not see him speak publicly. He'll speak to his followers, his disciples. The ones who have placed their true That's faith right. In him. At this point, he departs and 
the general public, they're not going to benefit from an invitation to come to faith to him. His public ministry is going to be wrapped up in this statement. Now, here in just a few verses, we're going to read John give something Jesus said, but it's not a public statement. It's more of a summary of what he had taught. So there's a tragic reality. He had talked to people for three and a half years. He had presented who he was. He had taught them who he was. He had pleaded with them. He gives them this one final plea, and then he departs. Opportunity over. It's gone. Yes. Thank and it gets even sadder. Go you, ahead, Jimmy. You already, you already kind of answered that question, though, but why do you think he hit himself from I mean, you answered it kind of. Well, I, I, I think he knew their hearts, that he knew that they had yeah. rejected him, that they there weren't going to receive him. I think he also knew that according to God's timetable, his crucifixion needed to happen on a particular time of Passover when the sacrificial lambs were being sacrificed. Yeah. And so he was playing out God's timetable so that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin wouldn't orchestrate his capture before it was time. You're right. So, I jot it down as symbolic. Okay, I don't it. know if I'm right. I just wanted no, to just lay it I'm on just laying it to the pastor see if he's Okay, lay it on us. So, uh, I think Christ, you know, I see him hiding himself in, you know, God's hid from people because of their unbelief. Mm-hmm. If they, if, in order for them to see, all they have to do is place their faith in God and they'll see the glory of God, which is the Messiah, the Christ. You know, he, he hid himself because... They weren't willing to see, so mm-hmm. he just went away. You're right. You're right in that. And in fact, here in just a moment, we're going to read a prophecy of Isaiah that will talk about the blindness of people mm-hmm. who refuse to see Christ yeah. and how God removes the opportunity to see him because they have refused to see him. Amen. So I think you're on track there. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Sure, no, right? I, think you're on, I think you're on track there. Now, look at another tragic aspect of this. Verse 37 says... But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he, that is God, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Here's, a tr- here's another sad aspect of this. The people saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the miracles. They saw all Jesus did, and they never disputed what Jesus did. No. Not one time did they dispute it. They never denied he did the miracles. They denied who gave him the power to do the miracles. Mm-hmm. But they never denied he did the miracles. That's right. They saw all the evidence they needed to see, and it says this, they did not believe in him. They saw all they needed to see. They knew the truth. They heard the truth. They were exposed to the truth. There was infallible, undeniable evidence given to them that Jesus is the Messiah, and yet they would not believe in him. And so he withdraws. They're not going to get the chance because they will not. He knows they will not. And then you have this section there, beginning with verse 38 down. That's a prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah speaking. The rejection of Christ here fulfills a prophecy that Isaiah had spoken. But the prophecy tells us that the Messiah had clearly been revealed, that God had manifested all the evidence needed to recognize him. That's what it means when it it talks about to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed 
And it's basically Isaiah saying, God, who did you hide this from? No one. Everyone saw the evidence. Everyone saw the truth. Everyone could recognize Jesus if they had wanted to recognize him for who he really was. Yet they did not. Now you come into this statement. I really want to take time to point this out. Verse 40 talks about the people's eyes are blinded. Their hearts were hardened. But it says he did it. That's referring to God. Now that throws people off when they read God blinded people's eyes and hardened their hearts. So we need to we need to discuss this a little bit. Yeah, I camped out there for a minute, that's for sure. The people had continually rejected Jesus and continually hardened their own hearts towards Jesus. All right? They had refused to see who he really was. They had refused to open up their hearts to him. The people had hardened their hearts already. All right? Mm -hmm. Their continual hardening of their hearts towards Christ led to the point where God said, fine, I'll let you have that hard heart. In fact, I will withdraw my spirit and let your heart harden. So it's not that God would not let them believe. It's that they refused to believe. They had hardened their hearts. And so then God allowed the hardening of the heart to happen. And he said, I'm not even going to break through it because you won't believe anyway. Would you say they had the hard heart like Pharaoh? That's exactly what it is. There's a phrase. Y'all listen to this phrase. You might hear it if if you start pulling this apart, judicial hardening. The judicial hardening of the heart. That's what you see in Exodus with Pharaoh. Because you'll read in, in, in Exodus, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But if you'll rewind and back up, you'll read time and again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh said no. Pharaoh would not let it be. And then God hardened his heart. <laughs> what God did was he let Pharaoh have what his heart already desired. That's what this is. These people didn't desire Jesus. They desired a different kind of Messiah. They hardened their heart against him, and God let them have the heart they desired. He let them have the heart. It's what Romans 1 speaks of when the Bible says God will let people be turned over to a debased mind, to a reprobate heart. Their heart's inclined that way. They're going that way. They They deny Christ, and then he lets them have the heart they're inclined to have. I'm sad to see America... Getting the hard heart of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. They are. I well, see this. You see it exemplified through the scriptures. You see it right here. If a person will harden their heart against Christ time and again, continually, over and over, harden their heart to Christ, reject him, God gets to the point where he says, I will let you have that kind of heart. Mm-hmm. I will harden your heart, in other words. I will let you have that heart, and I will not, through my spirit, break through. Because honestly, it's only through the Holy Spirit's conviction that anyone comes to faith in Christ. Amen. But you deny the Holy Spirit's conviction time and again till he says, I'm done. I'll let you have that hard heart. You know, God gives you the desires of your heart. That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> that's basically... what is your desire. <laughs> that's ba- judicial hardening. That's basically what that refers to. Yeah. God is inclined to give you the heart you want to have. And if you will reject him continually, he will hand you over and let you have that desire, that desire of a hard heart and a rejected Messiah. And so that's what that refers to there when you read that. It's not that God would not let these people be saved. It's that they refused to be saved. And so he handed them over to that kind of heart. Now, those of you who might swing more Calvinistic on us would argue with me on that. 
but I'm sorry. I'm swinging back this way because that's where we camp out around here. That's right. So <laughs> God offers salvation to whoever will, but these people would not. They refused. They hardened their hearts towards Christ, and they wouldn't have it. I mean, they couldn't even, when they were standing there back, when, back over there when they uh, heard the voice, some of them could hear thunder, mm-hmm. and some of them thought it was an angel. They mm-hmm. never heard God's voice. They didn't recognize it. They only understood that it was thunder or mm-hmm. an angel, but it was more than an angel. It was the glory of God mm-hmm. being presented. That's right. They, they just didn't want to see it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're making good headway through here. Oh, man, we're making good time. We're trucking taking, through this tonight. Taking it down. I'm telling you. Let's pick up a verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Two verses there we need to look at. We find out here that there are some among the religious rulers. Mm-hmm. Some that are maybe among the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Some who serve on the Sanhedrin. They believed <laughs> that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet they would not confess him because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. Now, if you remember, we've read, of oh, it's been a few chapters back, Jesus healed a blind man. Yes. And the Pharisees, well, chief priests really let it be known, if anyone testifies that this is Jesus did this, and they're going to say this is real, we're going to put you out of the synagogue. Yeah. And the blind man's own parents wouldn't even testify to the truth. You remember That's that? Right, I remember that. To be put out of the synagogue is to be cut off from Jewish society and culture. Yes. I mean, you are an outcast. You're a nobody. You don't have contact anymore. You are disowned. It's to lose your world is what it is. Worse than a Gentile. Right, like right. Yeah, and so the, these people, they're part of that inner circle. And it says they recognize Jesus for who he really is. They recognize the truth that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. They really understand, but they refuse to confess him because they don't want to lose their world. They don't want to lose what they have. Now, we don't have to think back too far ago, Jimmy. Jesus actually taught on this, you know. In fact, in this very chapter, in this very (laughs) chapter, he taught about this. In fact, in, in this very chapter, back around verse 25, 26, he says, look, if you have your life and you want to save your life in this world, you're going to lose your life. Yes. In other words, if you have a love for the world and your life in the world, if you prefer the worldly life over my life that I can give you, then you're going to lose it all. Yeah. And he taught it again with the rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. Back in other, I don't know. Is, that's not in this so, gospel, is it? Mm-mm. But it is another one. But it is another example. And so Jesus in this very chapter, has taught that if you try to hold on to your worldly life and prefer it to the eternal life Christ can give, you're going to lose it all. You're going to, you're going to find yourself separated from God, cast out into eternal suffering. And we see an example of that here. They knew the truth, they believed the truth, but they wouldn't confess the truth. They, they, their fear kept them from really expressing faith in Jesus. It's... it's, it's this thing where they loved their world so much, they couldn't let go of it to trust Jesus. It's what James 4 talks about when, when if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. When you, when you just hold on to the world, you're not going to be part of God. Uh, John will go on in 
his epistle, 1 John. In 1 John, in chapter 2, he'll say, look, if you have the love of this world, the love of God cannot be in you. They don't go together. That's an example right here. These people had such a love for their world and their prominence, their prosperity, the, the position they held. They had that love so much that they could not give their life to Jesus, so the love of God was not in them. So here you see an example of people. They're not blind to the truth. They haven't rejected the truth. They know the truth, yet they won't yield to Jesus as Lord and Savior because they don't want to give up their ties to the world. That's right. It's a sad thing, but I still think this happens today. People are confronted with the gospel. They understand the truth. They would say Jesus is the Savior, but I just don't want to give this up. I just don't want to have to change that. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, what if he makes me quit this or what if he makes me quit that? I mean, I know he's a savior, but I'm just not going to give you my life because of this. <laughs> huh? You know, you can't, you know, wait for all the changes to come all at once. You got to give Christ your life and then, you know. He may not ask you to give some things up. He, well, may, he may say his grace is sufficient. The reality I'm is... Saying, I'm not saying nothing like that, you know, but I'm just... Yeah, you know. well, the, the reality <laughs> is these people knew the truth of the gospel, but they wouldn't receive it. The love they had for this world, the ties they had were too strong. And we still see that in people. We all know people that are that way, that, that they would admit, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Savior, but no, I, I, I just can't do that right now. I've got some other things to tend to in my life, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Jesus, Jesus pointed out there in verse 25 and 26, you have to let go of those worldly loves and prefer him over the world. Yeah. And it will be evidenced that your faith is real because you'll follow him in service. That's you're not right. going to worry about what you gave up because you're going to follow him in service and commitment. That's going to be proof of your genuine faith in him. So... Anyway, let's... People's got to remember it's a process. A lot oh, of people sure. think all this, you're going to be some squeaky clean Christian overnight. It's just, it's a relationship. That's right. relationship grows. It's progressive. Yes. It's progressive sanctification. Absolutely. Let's pick up with verse 44. Let's try to finish this chapter out this evening. Yes. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now, here you have words of Jesus. This is a summary statement. The Apostle John here is giving a summary statement. Jesus isn't proclaiming this in a public crowd. He's already departed and hid himself. We've read that. Jesus has already withdrawn from the crowds. And now Jesus has given a statement, or John has given a summary, I guess, of a statement. He says, here's what Jesus had to say. Let me sum up the ministry he had here on earth. And he gives this dissertation of the words of Christ as kind of a summation. So in this, you see kind of the summation of his earthly ministry. You see that 
Jesus is in the Father and the Father's in Him. And if you've seen the Father, you've, or seen Him, you've seen the Father. And if you've, if you've heard Him, you've heard the Father. And in fact, He says, if you believe in Me, you don't believe in Me. You believe in the Father, the one who sent Me. You believe in God. So the very first summation point provided to the earthly ministry of Christ is this. It is impossible to know God apart from Jesus Christ. John is coming back to this point. You cannot interact with God if you will not interact with Jesus. It's impossible. You cannot know God if you will not know Jesus. It's impossible. Only through faith in Jesus Christ can anyone personally know God and interact with him. Jesus is going to make that point clear here in two chapters. He's going to be alone with his disciples. He's going to be teaching them a lot of really important truths there at the Last Supper. And he's going to say, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. That's the summation statement John is making here. That's right. If you want to know anything about Jesus, you have to know this. He is your path, your avenue, your access to God. Only through him. And so, Jesus kind of wrapped his whole ministry up in his desire to allow people to know God the way God intended. But they had to be willing to receive him as Messiah and come to him in that way. So it's impossible to know God apart from Jesus Christ. That's the first summation. Now there's another one. He says, I have come as a light in the world. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. The second aspect that John wants to summate, or summate, listen to that, sum up is that not only is Jesus your path to know God, he is your rescue from the dominion of darkness. Amen. Only through Jesus can you be pulled out of the dominion of darkness, the darkness of sin. Jesus is the only one who can forgive you of your sin and rescue you out of the punishment of sin. He's the one who transfers you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's how Paul will describe it. That is the work of Jesus on the cross. He's atoning for sin so that you can be pulled out of the darkness of sin. So we see that reality here. So John's summing it up. Jesus has come that you might know God. And in knowing God, that's going to involve you being pulled out of the darkness of sin, being rescued from that. He goes on. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He rejects me and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him. Yes. And so we see that those who reject Christ are not judged as of yet in that moment. Right? Because Jesus said, I didn't come the first time to judge, I came to save. Yes. But I will come again. And that time I come for judgment. And so there's another summation here where John wants everyone to understand, you may not feel condemned now because you rejected Christ, but the day comes where you stand before the righteous judge on his judgment seat, and you will stand condemned as he judges you for rejecting him, and you will be dead in your sins, condemned in your sins. He came to save the first time, the second time he comes in judgment. And it's the very truth he's spoken that will testify against you. The very truth of his word are the words that will be brought up as testimony against you as you are judged. And so, yes, Jesus is loving and he's a savior and he came to save. Oh, that's all true. Yes. But you can't 
turn a blind eye to the reality that in Revelation, there's a great white throne. And upon that great white throne is a righteous judge named Jesus. And all that have rejected him will stand before that throne and hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll be cast into eternal damnation, into a lake of fire, the Bible says, prepared for Satan and his demons. Mm -hmm. And so John's being true to the gospel. You see, the gospel is good news, but it's only good if there's bad, right? The bad news is we're condemned in sin, dead and condemned to damnation. But the good news is Jesus, through his work on the cross and his resurrection, pulls us out of the dominion of darkness, rescues us out of sin, makes us right with God so that we have eternal life. Amen. Right? Amen. And so, and, and even Jesus points that out. He says in the last verse, and I know that his command is everlasting life. That's, the, that's it. Everlasting life in Christ. Why does the everlasting life provide me? I'm not judged. I'm not condemned throughout eternity. I know God in a personal way. I have the joy of experiencing his presence all because of the work of Jesus. One last thing it's, it's worth noticing here in this last little summation Jesus is God. He's God who took on human form, right? Jesus is God incarnate, fully God, fully human. Yet in the human form, God the Son became completely submissive to God the Father and his plan for redemption. He says here that whatever I speak, I speak just as the Father told me, so I speak. He talks about the Father who sent me gave me command. And so Jesus was completely submissive to the words of God the Father, the plan of God the Father through his earthly ministry. He he is following a preordained plan set at the foundation of the world to rescue humanity. And although he is equal because he is God, he in humanity's form is submissive to God the Father's plan. And so you had this un changeable, absolute truth that leads to eternal life. It's dictated by God the Father. It's completely followed perfectly by God the Son. It's it's brought to our attention by God the Spirit, all that we might be drawn out of darkness into light and know God personally. You see, the ministry of Jesus here, we find it was a ministry to speak the words of life, giving himself to make life possible, calling us to receive that life, And it's all through his willingness to be submissive to God and give himself on the cross. And what we're going to see is from this point forward, our timetable ramps up and moves quickly. Now, we're going to spend probably four chapters in the Last Supper. Because Jesus teaches a lot of things in that Last Supper that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't talk about, but John does reveal. John's going to focus more on all that Jesus taught and less on he gave the bread and broke it after he gave thanks. He passed the cup and so forth. John's not so focused on the precision of the supper as the teachings that happened during the supper. So as we move into chapter 13, we're going to start seeing a lot of that happening. So, um, but, so that wraps up, that wraps up chapter 12 and it wraps up the public ministry of Jesus. Yes. From henceforward, it's private ministry to his disciples and then his arrest, trial, crucifixion, resurrection. But every, if you pay attention, everything that's ministry 
from this point forward is ministry towards those who are his. Yes. So that's where we're going with that. So. I got nothing else on that, brother. Really. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Thank you for, for helping with that. You have been listening to Along the Narrow Way, hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay faithful to walk along the narrow way with Jesus.